Welcome to By Day By Night. This is a podcast series about Asians and Asian Americans who by day have a regular life, but by night live a radically different life. And they keep it a secret from everyone, from friends, family, loved ones. We interview and ask these people to reveal their personal stories and we keep their identities anonymous so that they can tell you their unfiltered experience. A quick note about this episode, we had some technical issues with the mic, so please bear with us on the sound quality. And with that, I am your host, Eddie Kim, and here with me is my co-host, Charles Gray. And without further ado, welcome to By Day By Night. Let's start off by like, what do you want to be called? Um, the mistress. Okay, so we'll call you, we'll call you the mistress. And mistress. Sounds so dark. <laughs> yeah. The mistress. And how old are you? I'm 24. 24 years old. And what, what is your ethnicity? Asian American. Do you specifically identify as Asian American? In other words, you don't, you don't ever consider yourself, I, I don't know what ethnicity or you're Chinese or what, like, what would you consider? My parents are Chinese Taiwanese. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when you say Chinese Taiwanese American, that like automatically I already feel, whoa, that's like a, a intermingling of conflict right there also. Is there one or the other that you identify more with? Well, I feel the most American because I grew up here in the South of all places. In the South? Yeah, in the South. Oh my God, where in the South? Virginia. Oh, cool. For like how many years? I moved out of Virginia when I was 15. So 15 years of my life. Then I moved to Michigan and it's more white people. Where did you go to college or did you go to college? I went to USC. You went, oh, so you moved for college to LA mm-hmm. and you've been here since then. And uh, uh, what was college life like for you? College was interesting. Um, my parents are working class immigrants and to go from that environment to people are driving Ferraris on sorority row or sorority and fraternity row and um, meeting people with just insane amounts of money and um it felt weird. It felt like I didn't completely fit in. I mean, sure, there were other kids similar to me, like first-generation college students, immigrants. But yeah, I felt I never felt like I um, 100% fit in there. Um, maybe I didn't stay there long enough to find my people because I, I dropped out. Why did you drop out? Um, I mean, one of the reasons was money. Um, my parents weren't financially supporting me and I was getting deeper and deeper in student loan debt. Mm. And my junior year, I thought I I should probably just leave. I'm majoring in something that technically doesn't need a degree and I'm getting deeper into debt. And the irony is I work for a a day job now. I work for a for-profit college. So I'm using other kids' student loans to pay off my student loans and to survive. (laughs) we're going in circles here. So what do you do at this job? Like, what, what's your role? I'm an admissions associate. An admissions um, associate. What does an admissions associate do? So for this particular for-profit college, it's my job to connect interested leads with information sessions that I also present. I tell them more about the school and the scholarship opportunities and our faculty and yeah, try to convince them to apply and go through the whole application process. And um, oh, you're like you're like a college admissions counselor. Yeah, basically, okay. yeah, fostering the next generation of young artists, Damn. <laughs> getting them into an average of ninety thousand dollars in student loan debt per student. <laughs> it's awful. That's your by day and and like by night, or I mean, technically it may not even be by night, but like by whenever I feel like it. I'm a dominatrix. Damn. <laughs> this is like, uh, uh, I rarely, if ever, meet a, a dominatrix. Like, tell us about your, what does a, a dominatrix do? So there's a lot of different uh, fetishes. People like spitting, cock and ball torture. Um, there's humiliation, sissification, tease and denial. Um, some people like to get shocked and electrocuted. <laughs> Some guys even like shoulder riding. It's very strange. They want to 
feel like they're a horse being ridden on by a beautiful mistress. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of different fetishes that I cater to and I uh, provide a safe space for submissives to explore their wildest fantasies. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you get into this? I needed a job in college that would pay the bills and also I needed something flexible so I could still go to all of my classes and do my schoolwork without, you know, taking 40 hours a week or something. I remember reading a book by Margaret Cho and she talked about how she was a dominatrix. Yeah, I didn't even know this. Margaret Cho was a dominatrix? <laughs> yeah, what yeah, she started hell? off in like San Francisco and she was immersed in the sex world there. Um, and I got really curious after that. I was like, wow, if one of my idols worked in that, I want to try it too. So I got on Craigslist and I started going through the like help wanted or like jobs postings. And I found... A, dom, a male dom who wanted to have female doms in his dungeon working and he would take 40% of the pay because he- 40%? Yeah, I mean, but he was providing the space and the security and all the equipment and he would train the doms too. This dude, where is this, his place? Where is it? He lives a miracle mile. So he was operating out of his apartment or something? Yeah, yeah. He lived in a two-bedroom apartment, um, purple walls, all kinds of kinky equipment. And the first thing I noticed was a St. Andrew's cross. And I was like, whoa, what have I gotten myself into? And then there's like a fucking bench and different <laughs> um, things to hit the subs with. There were whips and, um, yeah, flog things, <laughs> yeah. Like, does it, uh, I can't even imagine. I mean, like, it's like the only thing that I've seen that comes close to that is like Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, but, yeah, they're more lifestyle uh, mm. BDSM. So I feel like in Fifty Shades of Grey, they actually like have sex and stuff, whereas I was just doing it for the money. <laughs> it's like, I, I guess I'm not like a real, or I don't know. It's like, are you, do you have to be a lifestyle dom to actually be a dom or can it just be a job? I don't know. Some people are really particular about this stuff. Damn. So, so you're, you're at USC. You're like, man, I need some money. You look at Craigslist and say, hey, I want to check that out. Yeah. <laughs> and, and did you, you clearly drove to this guy's place. You never seen this guy before. No. You're knocking at his door. He opens it because you obviously called him in advance. Yeah, yeah. We did like a short phone interview before. <laughs> like, and, and what did what did he look like? What did he sound like? Oh, God, he was creepy. I wanted to run away. <laughs> but you went there. I wanted anyway. to run away, but I went anyway. <laughs> like, I need money. He had long hair, like long black hair that he would tie in a ponytail sometimes. Um, his face was kind of like sunken in. Really skinny guy. In, in addition to being a dom and, or in, in addition to taking money from women who were working in his dungeon that he was training, he was also a personal trainer. So he, he was just like, he was doing the most. And he would also, um, he would pretend to be a, a female dom on sugar daddy websites. Um, and he had like randos that would pay him every day, like $30 a day. He had dogs. Um, he got mad that I was kind of scared of his dogs. <laughs> he had um, one dog that was a husky and another dog he claimed was part wolf. And um, the dog had a reputation for biting people and stuff. And that was why I was scared. Um, but yeah, there were large, pretty large dogs. Is it, is it a white guy? He claimed to be Native American. His last name was a uh, Hispanic last name, but he didn't look... <laughs> I, I, but I mean, there's a lot of Hispanic people out there that look white, so. What a character. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> he was an interesting character. Yeah, but I mean, like, if you just saw him walking on the street, you would assume, creepy white guy. What is his place? Like, was it rundown looking? I mean, it, like, it was a nice. Um, he didn't do a good job of cleaning it. Mm. Um, but it wasn't, it was in a nice neighborhood. It's, yeah, mid Wilshire, Miracle Mile area. Right. Um, he was on the second story, so he had a nice balcony. Um, and it was a pretty big space. Um, and he was paying for it by, uh, 
you know, keeps making 40% of what I made and other girls, whatever they made. And and this dungeon, this so-called dungeon is like probably one of those bedrooms, right? Yeah. And, but the dungeon, you know, I think of like something medieval, but like, what was, was it scary looking inside or just like all kinds of dildos everywhere? I was like, what, what is it? Oh yeah. There were plenty of dildos. Oh my God. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't scary looking. There were red lights. He loved using red light. So I would turn the normal lights off and, um, it would look like red and kind of spooky. Um, of course there was the St. Andrew's cross I was talking about the fucking bench and there'd be, there's a glass table with like a, like a ball gag, um, rope, uh, he actually, he, he trained me uh, <laughs> in his training. He, he was teaching me how to ball bust properly. And I was ball busting on his balls. <laughs> yeah, he got naked and he was, and he told me, um, you have to kick in between the balls. You can't <laughs> kick the left ball or the right ball um, because you might rupture <laughs> the balls if you do it that way. You can't wear shoes. If someone asks for a stomping session, say no. You could Wait, so seriously when, injure wow. them. So that's like on the first day? Yeah. Yeah, first day. He was oh training me and putting God. ads up for me on Backpage when Backpage existed. So you, you spent like, you know, maybe an hour in there getting trained on how to be a dom and then he's just like, hey, hey okay, see, so this is how you keep my balls here. Let me take my pants off. <laughs> yeah. Let me take yeah. my pants off. Yeah. And here, let me part my balls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was crazy. I feel like any other job, if anyone would do that, like we would call HR immediately. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no HR, there's no taxes. Like this is the wild west. So when you're kicking him, like, are you kicking like really hard, like freaking hundred miles per hour hard kind of thing? Or I don't think so. I, I was kicking at like. Like, let me kind of kick a soccer ball, and it's also this guy's ball, so I'm kind of grossed out. And, like, <laughs> let me just do this because I was told to, and I'm just following directions. It was kind of like that kind of kick. Damn. Um, and he he would, you know, yelp in pain, of course, but he was talking about how I wasn't doing it right because he said, if you were doing it right, it would be pleasurable for me. <laughs> Because he, he was talking about how another um, dom, when he was training her, she was really into it. And she made it like really like passionate and sexual. <laughs> or I don't know. I don't know. Like she was um, just really more into it than I was. So that's why he loved it so much. Is it organized in any way? Like are there meetings between dominatrixes and stuff? Like I've heard of a, a school school yeah like not an official school but like like a place where and it's probably all done at people's homes you know there's the dominion um that's a commercial dungeon what is this what is the dominion so i personally have never been there but i heard about it from my first dom boss he told me that um there's like commercial dungeons like the dominion out there uh where it's kind of like a strip club, but you know, with dominatrixes <laughs> and people go there and they just like pick a dom and do a session. And it's like a, like an actual business. Mm. It's more organized than whatever the fuck where I was working at. <laughs> I heard from a friend of mine whose friend is a dominatrix and she was attending this so-called school, right? This was like out in New York mm-hmm. and it'd be done at someone's house, right? And it'd be maybe like 10 or so uh dominatrices aspiring dominatrices mm-hmm. that come there to learn the ways and the techniques from the big boss person whoever he or she is right mm-hmm. and then at each session they would have a subject that, <laughs> that comes in you know and then they're just basically practicing on him and he's like loving it and stuff you know yeah yeah it's fun i'm curious if there's like a ton of these things and you know this dominion i suppose is one of them yeah, I'm assuming the Dominion is one of them. Um, I mean, the the Black Dom I know, uh, she is connected to a good amount of Doms. And once I started working at her dungeon, one of my first assignments was to do a, a double session with her where uh, she had one of her paint pigs uh, just like beat the shit out of him together. <laughs> 
like by the end of his like ass was bleeding it was like so black and blue and she stuck such a big dildo up there's like huge like we doms have like huge like foot long dildos like wide as fuck we're like 15 inch or i don't know they're so long i don't know like how we shove that whole thing up his ass but (laughs) yeah he just like gets off on pain it's like really interesting are you actually having sex with them too no is is that the case with all dominatrixes? Like they're not actually having sex with them. Some escorts who do BDSM might have sex with the submissives or their their clients, but traditional in the traditional dominatrix world, the dominatrix does not have sex with the submissive because then she wouldn't be dominant anymore. <laughs> mm. What do the traditionalists feel about the ones that do have sex with them? Well, the the person who trained me told me that they're making traditional doms look bad. Mm. Um, and those people aren't really dom- dominatrixes. They're just escorts that provide BDSM. Do they all like seek the same thing? They all just want to get their balls kicked or like what? what? What are, what are some of the other things that they like or, or is there a common thing that they like? I think they like being told what to do by a woman that they find attractive. Mm. And they like being dominated, but there's so many variations. Some of them don't like being physically punished and some of them don't want marks. So you have them run errands or do tasks or some of them are really into spitting, just being taken over by a woman. <laughs> Damn, so you're just showering them with your spit and stuff? Yeah, yeah or I <laughs> tell them to get groceries or... <laughs> oh, simple yeah. things like that too. Yeah, yeah. I um, There was one, he paid me like $4,000 for a personal training domination and also just random tasks. Oh my God. There's one that got me a care package. So these ideas are from the client they come up with these crazy ideas of what they want and you just say yes no yeah usually the client tells me what they want and then if i've known them for a while it becomes kind of a collaboration and then i'm like okay you want to run errands for me i want like this specifically and like make me a care package and i don't care what the fuck you put on it in it just make it nice (laughs) yeah it's really fun to like demand things was there ever an idea that someone proposed and you're just like no that's i'm i don't do that or that's crazy there was a guy that wanted to be castrated for and this was only email so i don't know if he was serious but i think he wanted to pay like fifteen thousand dollars or somewhere in the uh (laughs) five figures range to have his dick chopped off oh my god i was like no thank you that sounds a little too bloody for me yikes is there a personality trait that you do find common with the clients um i mean obviously they're all submissive they want to serve a woman yeah but other than that there's so many different fetishes Um, i mean there's sissification where I, i once put a korean man in a little pink dress and put makeup on him and I called him Jenny. So he, 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 this person, this particular Korean man, probably it's also possible that they would have liked to have been born a woman. It's interesting because I don't know if he actually does want to be a woman because he, he sees the sissification as a humiliation. So it's like he likes being humiliated in that way. So you can write it like a full-on academic paper on, on your experience. <laughs> like every finish. Totally, totally. So then do you find them like during your sessions, I mean, is it just pure like punishment, pain, enjoyment, or do you also find them talking about their lives? And, and Some like, of them Stress do. relieving and, you know, treating you almost like a therapist and stuff. Some of it, it just depends on the client. Some of them just want to go in for purely to be punished and they don't really say much um, other than thank you, mistress, and Mm. that sort of thing. And some of them actually do share a lot of details about their lives. I I had a really weird session once with someone who works in the medical field. Um, I asked him what was his, like, biggest regret in life because sometimes I, like playing mind games with them and using that information to get them deeper into the subspace. 
And he made it really difficult for me because he told me his biggest regret was not finishing medical school before his parents died. Oh my God. And I was like, oh shoot, like I, and then I like quickly changed the subject and I was like, okay, what else do you not like about yourself? And he said, oh, I don't eat that well. And he's like a perfectly like fit, attractive guy. And then so I was wondering like what the fuck he was talking about. So I was like, what did you have for lunch today? Mm. And he said salmon and vegetables. Mm. He just made it really difficult to like punish him. Mm. Damn. He got too real. <laughs> he got too real. I actually had a session with a submissive that got too real and he emailed me afterwards saying that he felt depressed. Oh my God. Yeah. I could actually pull up the email if you want and I could read, read it. it to us. Read it to us. <laughs> Mistress, thank you for a very intense session. I was a bit surprised that you did not offer a personal discussion at the end. With other mistresses, this post-care has been a valuable way to connect with the real person behind the dominatrix. I would have liked to get to know you a little bit as a person. You stayed in the hard bitch mode, and that was sexy, but I felt an emotional connection was missing. Most of your mind games and physical actions were exciting for the slave, but sometimes you go into areas that can be really hurtful to a person emotionally. Being reminded of unrealized dreams in life and being told you are old and don't have much time left in life was really hurtful and not erotic to me. It crossed the line and made me feel very sad and depressed. Maybe you did not want to just play with the slave, but rather hurt for real. And you did succeed. Damn. <laughs> wow. Did you respond to him? No, I was like, if he can't handle me, he should go find another dominatrix. This fool. <laughs> I felt no remorse. Like, I feel like a normal person would be like, oh, I feel so bad. Here's a refund. I was like, fuck this guy. You asked for mind games and like, <laughs> I gave it to you, bitch. <laughs> Damn. during your time in Virginia and Michigan. You're like probably one of the only Asians growing up in your area then. Were you dating mostly white people and stuff? Yeah. Oh, wow. What was that like? Um, I remember there was a white guy who had a crush on me. Honestly, I wasn't that into him and I just wanted something to do with my life. So that's why I started hanging out with him. But his friend really was super against it. So. He told me that he didn't believe in interracial relationships. Yeah, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. That's, that sounds like stuff like from like the 1960s or something. Wow. It kind of went over my head. Um, I had never seen his friend as racist before, but after that, I, could, I took mental note and I thought, okay, I don't want to hang out with this person anymore. And because I moved to Michigan, I never really saw them much after that. Mm. Did you at any point feel like I wonder if it's like at some point in the beginning you're like oh yeah we're all friends and then later on you're like oh wait I am Asian like did you ever feel that way from any of your white friends they would call me a banana wow so. <laughs> they called you a banana they're, yeah. they're they're claiming that you weren't repping your Asianness at all or something so yeah. calling you a banana yeah oh my god even out here, I've been called a banana before. I've been told by other Asian people, you're the whitest Asian person I've ever met. But then um, your, your white friends were saying that you're the whitest Asian that they ever met. Yeah. Oh, that's so weird. Because I'm so <laughs> immersed in white culture um, and so ashamed of my Asian identity. <laughs> I just became this basic white Asian girl. <laughs> Did you feel... Like, like you were a white person or what, what was it? What was that like? Because I grew up mostly around Asians. You're so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I spent a lot of my childhood trying to erase my Asianness and trying to be as white as possible. I remember being in a grocery store with my mom and she was um, speaking to me in Mandarin and I literally yelled at her and I said, Mom, we're in America, please speak English. Um, but my parents, they wanted me and my sister to speak Mandarin at home. So that's how I'm able to 
speak it nowadays. And I'm, I'm grateful that I have that skill. But yeah, I was really ashamed and embarrassed of it growing up. Do any of your friends or family know about your dominatrix life? My close friends know, um, and they're kind of like intrigued by it, but also kind of like freaked out. Um, my boyfriend knows and uh, my little sister knows. How does she feel about your life? I think she, I think she thinks I'm on a big adventure. <laughs> She's like, wow, you're in LA doing these, all these things. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> I feel like she, maybe there's like, like a separation too, because I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not that close with her and she lives in New York. Mm -hmm. And what do you think your parents would say if you told them? Oh, they would get so freaked out. <laughs> they would think I'm a prostitute or something. Like, were you talking about your mom or your dad or both? Both. They're pretty conservative. Mm. Would, do you think you would ever tell them at some point? Nah. <laughs> nah. Right, right. Probably give them a heart attack. Yeah, maybe if it, like, slipped out and they found out through, I don't know, like, if they somehow found out, I would explain it to them. Mm. But, I mean, I feel like I only go home once a year for a reason. Mm. How does that make you feel that you're not close with your family? Um, a little sad, a little disheartened. I am jealous of friends who are very close with their families. And my, my boyfriend sees his family once a week or even I mean, because they, they just live 40 minutes away. So mm. you can just drive to see them. How has your boyfriend reacted? Um, my boyfriend told me he'd prefer if I didn't do it, but because he he also believes that all humans should have as much freedom as possible and he believes that I should be able to do whatever the fuck I want. So he's like, okay, like I would prefer if you didn't, but if you want to do it, you can do whatever you want. How does that conversation look like? Like to introduce the idea, is that like something you mentioned on a first date? I think I did mention it to him super early on. I'm the type of person who kind of puts all her cards out on the table and then if you don't like all of me, then like you can kind of <laughs> go find another person. Right. So how does like uh, that bleed into like your relationship? He's very like, I want to do whatever the fuck I want and you can do whatever the fuck you want. I don't want to limit you from doing anything. He's very chill. What is it the fuck that he wants to do? <laughs> We're in an open relationship. So if he wants to go on dates with other women, which he has before, then like I'm totally um, fine with that. And he, you know, he does a bunch of party drugs and he... Uh, goes to raves. I mean, this is pre-pandemic and he, yeah, he's kind of a party person. He's <laughs> a party person who works as a CPA. <laughs> That's funny. It, it, but you're comfortable with him seeing other girls then? Yeah. How, how do you guys maintain your relationship then? Well, we live together, so we mm. kind of have to. <laughs> um, and we also, when we started dating, we created a Google Doc of all the guidelines for our relationship. Yeah, we do have group sex sometimes with other uh, couples and stuff. Um, that is wild. That is <laughs> wild. You're, so you're a swinger couple. Yeah, yeah. Um, not much recently because it's not really COVID safe to do that. But... Damn. <laughs> yeah. So does he uh, ask for like the dom stuff that you do? No, he, he doesn't like being dominated. He hates it. He prefers that I'm submissive, which I'm totally okay with because in the bedroom, I naturally am more submissive anyways. So I, I would consider myself like a switch. And with previous partners, I've taken on that role too. It's like I can dominate, but I can also be submissive. Then, and then this whole swingers lifestyle, like how do you manage that? Like how do you avoid jealousy or, or feeling like, oh, there's something, He's not telling me something. Or she's not telling me something. Like, how do you avoid that? Well, I feel like it's not like avoiding, but just accepting it. <laughs> you mm. know, it's like, oh, I'm a little jealous that he's seeing this person. But, you know, that's kind of like the life we live. Um, we love being open and we love this freedom and flexibility. And jealousy is just a natural part of that. Mm. Um, yeah, I find monogamy kind of unnatural because it's really hard to like just be with one person and marry them and be with them for your whole life and never be attracted to anyone else. I, I don't know. It's just not, it doesn't seem natural to me. 
Do all the men that come to you, are they married? They have significant others? Some of them are. Some of them have girlfriends and wives, but there are a good amount of single subs who actually wanted to date me. Mm. And that's where I crossed the line. I'm like, nope, don't do that. I'm not. Uh, I, I did have a sub who wanted to be like my lifestyle submissive. Like he wanted to be my boyfriend and also my submissive and like live with me and clean my house and cook and just be a slave. <laughs> uh, but that's where I draw the line. How, how do you feel about married men coming to you for, with this? I feel bad for them. They obviously have a fetish and, a, you know, a part of themselves that they're super into, but they're scared to tell their wives or girlfriends um, and they just can't express their full selves to their significant other, which is really, really sad. Like the submissive I saw recently, he told me he, he he's like sent videos of himself, like humping like a cushion for like, you know, a really long amount of time. He like made a PowerPoint of me with like just pictures of me and like oh, wow. sound bites. And he literally like gets home from work and like, I don't know, humps a pillow for like two or three hours. <laughs> Oh, man. And like gets into the deep into the subspace and like dreams of being dominated by me. There's a couples counselor that came to see me and I thought it was, I asked him, well, does your wife know you're here? And he said, <laughs> no. And I'm like, wait, I you're a couples counselor. You're not practicing what you preach. That's unbelievable. A therapist is coming to you. Yeah. <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. A lot of people think... BDSM is very therapeutic because mm. they're allowed to explore this part of themselves that they're not allowed to in day-to-day -day life. So you feel that you are actually providing a, a, a therapeutic service to all these men that want to get beaten by you? Yeah, in some cases. Do you care what their story is? Like why they want that thing done to them? Like, does that matter to you? Doing, doing it or it doesn't matter their, their background of why they want this thing be done to them um, honestly it doesn't really matter for me as long as you know you tell me what you want and you pay me i'm good <laughs> but it's it's interesting to learn the stories sometimes during the session i ask about their family and their lives and i wonder if like they feel more comfortable coming to you rather than talking to a therapist Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes the dominatrix also plays the role mm. of a therapist because I don't know if some of these men would be comfortable telling a traditional therapist their wildest fantasies. You've like experienced far more in your 24 years of life than most other people have. That's un unbelievable. <laughs> Seriously, you probably know way more about male sexuality than dudes do. Yeah, maybe. A lot of dudes that I see love, um, they love getting dildos stuck up their ass. Because <laughs> <laughs> it feels good to them. They just love the sensation of, and they love um, anal orgasms. There was a, a client that I had who could not achieve a, a normal um, orgasm anymore. So he can only have anal orgasms and he was seeking me out to get happy that way. <laughs> I feel like a lot of men don't know they're into ass stuff. Like some guys are like into like anal massages, but crazy. yeah, some guys don't even know. Some, a lot of guys are like scared because they think like, oh, if like I'm into ass stuff, I must be gay. Close his ass. Mm. Yeah. That's, dude, that's like a whole other set of conversations right there that I'm curious about too. You're, say, you're saying that the, uh, Many of your male clients are totally into ass play. Oh yeah, so it's one of the most popular things mm. on the menu. And they're 100% straight. Yeah, yeah, they just love having anal orgasms. Actually, I I've hooked up with a guy a couple of times who isn't, he's not submissive, but he just likes getting a dildo stuck up his butt. You know what, Charles? I think it's like seriously only like, like dudes, that uh, don't know much about sex or even their own uh, what they like or dislike that have this immediate reaction to ass play as like, oh, you're gay. And so I know I have been in like conversations and jokes a long time ago when I was a much 
less enlightened and uneducated person questions like like women can can make out with other women but then like society will deem like oh yeah yeah that's just two girls making out they're straight or just even like the notion of like women experimenting with other women like men will still consider it to be like oh yeah they're straight but then like the second that uh two guys hold hands oh that you're gay that's i think like uh probably uh uh men who, who really don't know much about sexuality. I don't know if you agree with that statement or not. But. I agree, yeah. yeah. It's like, why not try out a bunch of things and like play with your body to see what feels good rather than assuming everyone who likes anal stuff is gay. Right. It's like you do have stuff in your butt that you can play with if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded weird. At home, do you feel comfortable? Or do you feel more free being a dom? I think it's more fun being a dom. It feels like an escape from reality, especially now. I like wake up some days and I'm like, why the fuck am I still alive? I hate this. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm depressed or something, but I, definitely the pandemic has something to do with it. I just feel like I'm like stuck in a box and there's nothing to do and every day just like goes by and it's all the fucking same so when i do do a session it's kind of exciting to go to like a new environment either the dungeon or like a fancy hotel that um yeah where we're doing the session and just escape for a little while why wouldn't you feel that freedom in your regular relationship with your boyfriend i feel I feel like free with my boyfriend, but I don't feel it's not a relationship where I can like be dominant. I think it's more of like, oh, it's more like equal. It's like it's give and take. But yeah, overall, he's more dominant, especially in sex. Um, he's more dominant. But yeah, it's nice having like an altered ego and like a secret life to escape to. Is there any satisfaction in, in that sense, the, the mind game thing, the like you've been given these tools of like their past and they're asking you to do these things. Is there any satisfaction in that sense? It does feel a little empowering because as a survivor of sexual assault and as someone with a lot of sexual trauma, it feels good to like be able to hit the aggressor and literally manipulate them and do whatever I want with them. It's kind of therapeutic sometimes to just beat men up. <laughs> you just said survivor of sexual assault, sexual trauma. Does that have any direct connection to your dominatrix, your wanting to be a dominatrix? I feel like a little bit. Yeah, because like when I was raped, I felt like helpless. I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't move. I couldn't like say anything and I couldn't tell anyone. I just felt like kind of ashamed. I felt like it was my fault. Mm. I just kind of like Kind of just like froze. Um, How old were you when that happened? I think, yeah, 18, 19. It was before I started doing BDSM. So then after that traumatic experience, <laughs> when you got to the Dungeon Master's interview, it was an opportunity to try to take agency over that experience. A little bit, yeah. Mm. I don't know if it's like directly connected, but it must be somehow. Mm. Okay, so now you're 24, five years later. Do you feel things are resolved? Like you feel better? Or, or like how, how does all of that color everything now? I actually, I don't think I feel better. I feel like I've actually, I, I have had issues with working in BDSM before because they still see you as a sexual object. They're getting off on mm. you humiliating them. So you're, it's like still like, so I've had like on and off periods with BDSM. Like sometimes like I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this this month or yeah. And sometimes I'm like really into it. it I, I, I feel like I keep changing my mind about it, to be honest. Mm. Why? What, 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 is, uh, what is the struggle with it? Hmm. I, I think the struggle is like 
oh, it's so empowering to like dominate a man and to you know make a lot of money um, doing what I do, but at the same time, oh, it's still sex work. Like it's still sexual. Um, I would rather get paid for my talent or using my brain or I don't know, maybe it's like feeling ashamed about it too. Maybe it's like from my upbringing mm. because technically I still am a sex worker. Mm. What is justice to you? Like when you say that the traumatic sexual assault experience that you had and that maybe the BDSM work may or may not even be connected to it if it is as a feeling, as a way of possibly coping or, or trying to uh, take agency. Because if the BDSM work doesn't resolve any inner uh, feeling or trauma or whatever, then when do you think you would feel everything is okay? I mean, I don't, I don't imagine that anything will ever be okay because it's, no one should experience that. Yeah. But at some point, I can imagine like people saying to themselves, man, I, I'm cool now. When would that be for you? And what, what would allow for that to happen? I feel like more therapy, probably. Um, therapy specifically targeted um, for people with PTSD. Mm. I was seeing a normal therapist for a while or like a normal like family or relationship type therapist or whatever they're called. And I felt like she was helpful but she i feel like a specialist or a therapist who specializes in a particular type of ptsd therapy would be helpful for me mm, got it interesting how many more years do you think you'll continue on with this bdsm work um as long as people want me doing it yeah mm. um i don't know if people ever age out of bdsm but i don't know <laughs> I might be like one day like in my 60s like ooh I feel like doing it again <laughs> just like logging onto the internet to are, are there yeah, are there sure. women in their 40s 50s 60s that do this yeah yeah oh man there are actually I feel like if anything it's kind of better for an older more mature woman to mm. do this type there there are men with like mommy fetishes out there <laughs> yeah they want to be put in like diapers and like they want to <laughs> be treated like a baby Damn, so that was a, man, that was the mistress. What, what a crazy life, man. Yeah. What a crazy life. Hearing her story kind of like made me think like, I can totally understand where she's coming from. I don't understand the dominatrix part, but, <laughs> but I can understand like some of the uh, backlog of why she is in this place where she's comfortable with her life the way it is. I feel that like, there is more truth coming out of this conversation than there is in the daily regular conversations that probably the vast majority of Asian Americans have in their, you know what I mean? Like, like in a, not that we're all lying to ourselves or anything like that, but just like she somehow, in my opinion, is like able to really live and be self-aware to the fullest extent. Meanwhile, I live my daily life trying to be the best version of myself. But when I look at her, I have an envy of like, man, you, you have mastered like being the best version of yourself. If I could be anywhere near, like, I feel like I'm only 1% of you, you know, meanwhile, like a vast majority of people might be judging her lifestyle, yet she has mastered just being her true self. Yeah, yeah, I, I have to agree. Clearly, uh, people who are in the sex working industry mm -hmm. are providing a need that no therapist can resolve for anyone. Right, right. These people don't necessarily publicize this aspect of their life, yet it is absolutely crucial mm. for the people that they help. 
It's like, you know, these people who are being potentially, whether they're being vilified or whether they're being shamed or not, in either case, they don't feel as comfortable to talk about it, yet it's so necessary for the people that come to them. If all of that had no negative stigma to it whatsoever, right. would it then be actually completely uh, uh, supported? Interesting, yeah. You know, not, now that I'm getting older, it's just kind of like, I have all kinds of thoughts, you know? Like, I obviously want to get married. I obviously want to have kids. Okay. But, you know, I would be lying to myself if I didn't think about, like, man, when I hear about stories like The Mistress, it's like, damn. Like, I could have done so many things, and I didn't for whatever reasons. Probably a big reason being I wasn't ready to live the kind of life that she lives, you know? But then when I hear it, it's like, yeah, a small percentage of me, I was like, I'd be lying to myself if I wanted, if I didn't want to experience those things. Like, not, not, not necessarily the anality, but like, you know, just like, oh yeah, the swingers lifestyle or, or all this. And I was like, damn, before I die, I'd love to do something like that. Is it just to kind of uh, check it off of a bucket list be, to, to, to say like, oh, I did that, tried that. And like, I'm like, is it just, is, for, is it for that? Absolutely. Oh, okay. Because it's kind of like, you know, Hey, I mean, I don't know, like if, if I did the swingers lifestyle, like, you know, uh, would I want to continue doing that? I have no idea. But then it would suck to be like, you know, on your deathbed and you're like, damn, I wish I did this. And then I die. That would suck. You yeah. Know? And so, yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's interesting because I don't know, uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure relationship not her relationship isn't perfect but they're they found a way to coexist in it and try to make it work so right right like what is cheating in her eyes because with such an open relationship how do they maintain some sense of trust or honesty with each other right. there, there are opportunities for things to really so in such an easy way create so seeds of mistrust you know, because if he's like like dating other people or hooking up with other people and same with her, like if she's dating someone else or or even if she's not dating someone else, it's, a, it's just like the client, the business that she's in could easily create jealousy, I think. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, that kind of goes into like a deeper conversation of like, does anyone really know anyone? Like, like even yourself, like, is there anyone who knows every bit of you? Because then what if that one thing you try just messes up your whole mindset after that? Or it leads you down a direction that you never thought you'd be in? Like, I don't know. Oh, yeah, totally. Because <laughs> like, you never know what, where it could lead, right? Because let's say you do, do something like that. I think the big key indicator is whether, let's say you're in a relationship and like what the mistress says, both parties have to be open to that. Like you just can't just go ahead and just do that because that, that could end up like completely killing your relationship, you know? Right. And, and, and so, you know, it's, it makes me wonder, would, would the relationship that I'm in, if I even brought that up, mm -hmm. like, would it actually be the beginning of the end of the relationship uh, if I even brought it up? Right, right, right. You know, and that's to the point where it's like, I understand why probably men go to people like her. Because mm -hmm. if they even brought it up yeah. to their significant other, right. they may start thinking weird about that. Like, like uh, this guy's wife starts or this guy's girlfriend's like, oh my God, who am I dating? And, and therefore it's like, that's the beginning of the end. I still feel like after a whole hour, there's so much we could have asked or found <laughs> yeah. out. There's probably people listening who are like, man, I want to know this or that. I was thinking about that as I was you know, talking to her was like, it made me wonder questions about myself that I would love to ask an expert like the mistress, Ooh, right? Yeah. Like, for example, let's say, um, yeah, I'm making shit up here, but like, let's, <laughs> let's say, for example, like, I would love to ask my girlfriend if she would be into XYZ things. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Let's say I asked the mistress about that. It's like, yo, you've clearly have gone through these kinds of experiences before. Like, 
how did your boyfriend react to all this and that? And then let's say her response is, you should just talk to your girlfriend and, and see if she would be even open to that, you know? But then I fear that like, if I start going down that path, A, I discover new things about myself. B, it's like, I'm not even ready for any of those things or whatever, right? It's like those kinds of thoughts is like, I don't even know if I want to go down that path. What if you bring up something that in you thought was so crazy? And what if your significant other was like, I was thinking the same thing, but I was afraid to ask you like, oh my God. I mean, there's that option. Oh, you're killing me, bro. <laughs> you're killing me. <laughs> and that's the thing, right? It's like, there is lots of fears of the unknown. And I envy people like the mistress because they clearly have the courage to just balls to the walls, just go for what they truly want and desire in their life. I don't know if I could actually live like that. It's probably fair to say that I currently don't have the kind of courage that she has. How about you? I mean, I, I know we didn't really dive into this, but I wonder how much of it is like the courage to do these things or getting into like coping mechanisms for some things, other things we didn't ask about or mm. find out. So I don't know. All we do is ask questions. Yeah. You know, our questions lead to more questions. We, we may never have any answers for anything, <laughs> right, you know, right, right, right. but our questions lead to more interesting questions that I think is always poking at some kind of status quo and, and saying that there's something wrong here, you know. Thank you for listening to another great episode of By Day By Night. By Day By Night is produced by Eddie Kim, Charles Gray. Story produced by Jerry Chan. Edited and engineered by Emily Benson. Original music by Sal Gabriel. For more information about today's episode, please check out the show notes for details. Please like and subscribe so that you can get next week's episode because who knows what new story may be revealed on By Day By Night.